Welcome to Leading Simple with Rusty George. Our goal is to make following Jesus and leading others a bit more simple. Here's your host, Rusty George. Have you ever wondered how to put together a talk, a message, a speech that would engage people and compel them to take action? Well, today we get to hear how to do that from an acclaimed speaker and author by the name of Steve Carter. Hey, welcome to episode 188 of Leading Simple. I'm your host, Rusty George, where we just try to make real life simple. So glad that you're joining us. If you haven't already, would you take a moment and rate and review the podcast? It helps us get the word out about the podcast and encourage people to find it. Uh, I've got a great review here from a friend of mine named Justin. He says, super grateful for Rusty, his leadership in this podcast, great work, and a great help to my leadership. Hey, send a review in, and we'll make sure we read it on the air. I'm so grateful uh, for those of you that have already done that. Hey, today we're going to hear from Steve Carter. Uh, he's uh, an incredible pastor. He's pastored at some very large churches. He also uh, played Division One basketball, which we'll talk about a little bit. And he wrote a book called The Thing Beneath the Thing which is such a great read about what it is that really causes the problems in our lives rather than just the surface issues. We're going to get into that today. Hey, if you haven't already, make sure that you sponsor a child through Compassion International. You can just go to Compassion.com Rusty, and for the price of just a few lattes a month, you can change a child's life. My family and I, we've done this. My kids have each sponsored a child. My wife and I have each sponsored a child. It is an incredible organization. I have seen the work that they do firsthand. You're going to want to join them and partner with them. So here's my conversation with Steve Carter. Well, Steve Carter, thank you for joining the podcast. Um, as we were saying before we hit record, uh, I've known of you but never met you, so this is an honor. Uh, your, uh, your, your legacy is strong, but before we get into all of that, I, I want to know, where did you play college basketball? Because I heard you drop that in a podcast uh, interview, I think it might have been on the Kerry Newhoff show, that you played Division I college basketball. Where was that? Yeah, well, play is not the right word. Um, I uh, I sat at the bench, but I got free shoes. Um, I walked on at Cal State Fullerton, and so um, uh, the year before that, um, I actually had signed um, to play soccer and basketball at Masters College. Oh. We had a guy named Joey Penberthy who went to uh, play with the Lakers, and I thought, oh man, this would be great. Our AD had gone to Masters, and so, um, but a Division One recruit became available, and um, I lost my scholarship somehow, and so. I ended up going to a school in Fullerton called Hope International. Yeah. Played there for a year, but they didn't have a gym at the time, and so we go play all the time at Cal State Fullerton. We practice there, and all the NBA guys would come in and play there, and so we were just running. I mean, like it. There were some of the best games um, between my freshman and sophomore year, and finally the coach one day was like, "What are you doing?" Like come play with us. I think he saw my grades and just saw me diving after loose balls. It wasn't because I had a jump shot because I don't. Um, and so I did that for a year and I was set to be the backup point guard the next year. And that's when my dad said yes to Christ and ended up selling everything and leaving the West Coast to move back to Grand Rapids where he had grown up. And so it's kind of like this uh, realization of God was on the move with my parents and I'm a 5'11 white kid with no jump shot. Um, I know that I'm not making it anywhere past holding a clipboard. So it became an easy decision, but that's a long story to a short question. Wow. <clears throat> okay, so that's fantastic. And so many parallel uh, tracks there because, of course, Masters is here in town where I am. Uh, Pinberthy is a good friend and has been on the podcast several times. Uh, the difference is, is he's 6'3 with an incredible jump shot. So that changes things uh, for considering guys like you and I. Yeah, yeah. I ran into him in the, a Memphis hotel. Uh, they had they were playing the Grizzlies one day, and I was like, no way, Mike Penberthy. And he was like, what? And so I'm like, man, you could shoot the lights out, man. That guy was unbelievable to watch. Yeah, I mean, it is. I mean, we, we all consider ourselves somewhat of, you know, I can play basketball. And then you're around somebody that, like does it for a living. It's just another world. Uh, the the mechanics they have and their abilities. It's it's crazy. So, well, I, I could talk college basketball forever. So, are you? Let's see. You have roots here in California, but also time in Michigan. Who is your college basketball team? I, I I'm all Michigan. Okay. I am the University of Michigan Wolverines. When it comes to basketball, when it comes to football, I could tell you stats about the school. But I have to give respect to uh, Coach K. 
and some of those other, you know, coaches that I feel like just created a culture at a school. Um, and so there's a, there's a, a, a few of those that I, I would, I'll root for, but deep down I'm amazing blue all the way. Wow. Okay. So do you like Jim Harbaugh? I love him. He's fantastic. I, I was so hoping he'd run the table this year just because I find him to be very intriguing and, and I, I would love that, but oh, well, they didn't do it. And then, uh, uh, I mean, your basketball team's great. I mean, Jawan Howard was, seems to be a great hire for you guys. So love that for you. Yeah, it, it definitely is. Harbaugh's um, just classic Michigan man. Jawan Howard, I mean, obviously Fab Five. You bring in Jalen Rose, who's, you know, best NBA commentator, you know. And so you just, you have this swagger that's back to Ann Arbor, which is pretty fun to see. That's awesome. All right. So, you, I mean, I've always said playing sports uh, teaches you so many things in life. Uh, my coach uh, used to say, winners run baseline to baseline, you know, when he'd make us run. I've never forgotten that phrase. I think about it almost every day when I'm doing my just daily tasks, you know, complete the task, do it well. What did you learn from college basketball that you still practice today? Yeah, you know, we were playing K-State and wow, I'll, I'll never forget going out to, you know, Manhattan, Kansas and the Little Apple. Yes, and doing some warm-ups and the, the student section was like just mocking me and they were yelling, uh, coach's son. Cause, and I was dying. Cause they were like, there's no way this kid's on the team unless he's the coach's son. <laughs> uh, and so I, you know, I was, I was me and another guy, were probably the only two Christians like on the, on the team. And so I always like hope that we'd have a moment just to pray before a game. And I'll never forget going in the locker room, you know, six minutes before tip off and coaches bow your heads. And I'm like, Oh man, this is what I've been waiting for. But he he doesn't pray. He leads us into like this visualization exercise hmm. where he basically says, hey, um, if it's man and then they jump to zone, how will you respond? Hmm. Hey, when, when you miss an easy layup, how are you going to respond? When the ref makes a bad call, how are you going to respond? And he just kept walking us through this. And I, I just remember going, this is brilliant because I'm now getting to play it out and really see – how will I choose to respond if this person does this, if this defense does this, if this ref does this? And realizing, you know, the old Jack Canfield leadership kind of philosophy, E plus R equals O, events plus response equals outcome. The only thing we we actually have control over is our response. Mm -hmm. And that's what my coach was teaching me. And so for me, like when I'd go into meetings, whether at Willow, I'd, I'd have that little practice like, okay, if this person uh, does this, how will I respond? And it's just if if in the in the middle of a message, you know, someone walks up and, and, and walks out, you know, how will I respond? I just, I think learning to play it out has been a huge, huge gift for, for my leadership. That is such good insight. Well, we, we got into the deep stuff right away. So I, I want to ask you about that. I mean, I'm sure by this point, cause you're several years removed from college basketball days. Um, are, are, how much time do you devote to that? Let's say it's a meeting you're walking into get real practical for us. Have you thought about it so much that you can do this intrinsic, you know, kind of uh, instinctively on the way to the meeting, or do you need like ten minutes, a little bit of margin to process and visualize what you're about to hit? Yeah. So, two two answers. The first one is usually Sunday night or Monday morning. I do a little uh, practice based on Proverbs four twenty three. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything flows from it. That's good. And again, guarding like Natsar Hebrew, like I'm thinking Patrick Beverly, like. How do I guard a lot of things? I don't necessarily always guard my heart. So I, I, I spend the, the first part playing it back. Hey, was there a part somewhere in the last week where I didn't guard my heart and what came out of it? Mm. And then, I, then I, I spend like a few minutes playing it out going, okay, let's put myself back in that same situation. I'm tired. I'm hungry. I'm frustrated. Let's play it out. And just imagine coach, you know, Christ is like coach Popovich or coach K like asking me, how are you going to choose to respond now? And so I do this like every Sunday night, every Monday morning, then I play it smart. And it's like, how am I going to fuel my heart? I play it honest. I, sh I decide to show up like honest and human, uh, not just I'm good, but like, how am I really feeling? So that's like one part of how I do that. That's good. And then the second part is like in the mornings, I just, you know, um, kind of that firm believer of if you can tell me who you are, but once you show me your calendar, I'll tell you who you're becoming. Mm -hmm. And so when I look at my calendar at the beginning of the day, I just kind of go, Hey, are there any, you know, just conversations knowing I'm going into a podcast, like, Hey, wh wh where am I at? And I just, so I spend probably five to 10 minutes just in the morning, just 
kind of bringing that before the Lord in prayer and just saying like, Hey, where am I at? Because there's sometimes, and you might feel this rusty. I don't know, but like I can find myself trying to reach or trying to impress Mm -hmm. or trying to prove. And I just, I, what I've needed is that visualization of no, no, just show up and be you. That's enough. That's, that's good enough. Let Christ do what Christ wants to do. And so it's, it's just uh, almost a recentering five to 10 minutes kind of before I go into my day. You know, it's funny you use that phrase, be you. Um, Mike Pinberthy, back to him again, told me the best advice he ever got playing in the pros was from Derek Harper, yeah. who who looked at, at Pinberthy and said, you just be Mike today. That's all we need you to be. You just be you. And, you know, don't try to be Shaq or Kobe. You just shoot threes. And I remember one time before a message, he texted me and said, this Sunday, you just be rusty. And it was really life-giving to me because, you know, we have all these mentors in our head that we're trying to be, um, and just to be who we are. And I think the old, that's the blessing of getting older is you begin to know who you are, right? right. I think our 20s is just mimicking everybody in our life. But uh, w- what a great word. I, I love that idea of the, of the Sunday meditation. Now, I have to make a couple of corrections. First of all, uh, I'm a North Carolina fan. So on this podcast, we never equate Coach K to Christ, okay? We just never put that together, just FYI. <laughs> okay, so um, now I want to talk about uh, ministry a little bit because your journey has had its twists and turns. So you, you go to Cal State Fullerton, you got a little bit of Hope International in your back pocket. Um, tell us how you got into ministry and what your ministry journey has kind of looked like. Yep. So I was a film major um, <laughs> going to Cal State and was taking communication classes, again, um, doing basketball stuff. And my high school kind of career, my, my whole dream was to be Ferris Bueller. Like that, that's what I wanted to be. <laughs> um, and so I, I didn't really see ministry as an option. My dad was a, a business guy, commercial real estate, had gone to USC, studied film there. And um, I, I just didn't see ministry, but my, I had a great youth pastor huh. and the youth pastor just kept pulling me aside saying, Hey, did you, you baptize your parents? Like you, you, you lead a small group. You should think about ministry. And I just, I think I was too SoCal, like immersed in myself a little bit. And I just was like, ah, maybe, but just kind of like shrugged it off. Well, when my parents moved to Grand Rapids, um, the church secretary of Camrio Christian came up to me and said, Hey, there's this small little church. They just need help with the youth ministry. You don't know anybody in Grand Rapids. Like, would you just show up? And I said, sure. So I just started showing up and there's this small little youth group of like two kids. And it started just to kind of bizarrely grow. And I didn't have any friends there. Um, and I called my best friend from college and he said, Hey, there's a, there's a quirky guy named Rob Bell who's uh, starting a church out in Grand Rapids called Mars something. You should check it out. And I showed up there and that was week nine mm. of the launch of that. And so I, I got plugged in right away. And so I was going to their night service. I was volunteering uh, as a student there. And I, this other church was like growing. And so I, I felt this like, maybe I'm supposed to go into ministry. And so I went and I met with Rob and Rob um, said, hey, what do people say about you? I'm like, I don't, I don't really have an answer. Um, and he's like, well, bring that before God. Just see. Hmm. So I drove home and... I get home and there's a, a, a like an answering machine. Remember those? Oh yeah. And it's from the uh, one message. I hit it. It's the pastor of the small church that I've been helping out with the youth ministry. And he goes, "Hey, can you come in today? I'd love to talk to you." So I call him back. I'm like, "Hey, I can be there in 15 minutes." I drive down there and Pastor Dick Robinson. Um, he has ALS now, but he's just a great man. And uh, he just sat down and he answered Rob's question. And he's like, "I'm going to tell you who you are." Wow. And I'm, I'd love for you to be the, our student pastor. And I just broke down and it felt like God was saying, this is what I've called you to do. Mm. Um, it wasn't necessarily the, the, the role as much as it was the direction. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up going back to Hope, graduated, went back to Mars Hill, was an intern there, stayed there till 09, mm. um, and then went back to California to Rock Harbor as a teaching pastor there oh, yeah. and helped plant one of their campuses. And then... Um, while I was in Michigan, that's how I got to know um, Bill Hybels. And then he called me to invite me out to, to Willow. And then I was there about seven years. What was your first job at Willow? Um, director of evangelism and teacher at large. 
So I taught like on Wednesday <laughs> nights and taught around the, the church, but then oversaw their evangelism efforts. Wow, that's a big role there because that was Heibel's bread and butter. I mean, that's what his heart beat for the most. I'm sure he had a lot of input into that. Yeah, I mean, and and then you're also like following like the the Middlebergs and the Gary Pools and the Lee Strobels. I mean, just like <laughs> the Mark Ashtons. I was like, man, what? I am not either any of these guys, you know. Uh, but it was cool. Like I felt like it. Heibel's really allowed me to put my kind of spin on how I saw evangelism, and um, there was some really great stuff that, that kind of happened during that time. Can you walk us through a little bit of the whole idea of being called to preach, um, wanting to preach, being gifted to preach? I think there are people that think, I think I could do that. I think I could stand up on stage and talk for 30 minutes. I mean, how do you know when it's something you could pull off, like you could do a toast at a wedding, or it's something that, man, this is, God has crafted me to do this. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think, I think, I think there's a lot of us who are really, really gifted at naturally at telling stories. And so, you know, you, you grow up as a kid sitting around a fire and you, you watch how one dad or one mom can, can lean in and tell a story and everyone leans in, but you also watch how another kid or another parent tries and it just doesn't work. And so you, you're able to feel it out in like 30 seconds, like this person's a storyteller. And then I think I saw that early on and people gave me opportunities. Yeah. But I think that the the piece for me has been, um, you know, when I started at Rock Harbor, my first day as an intern was the day that they announced that the the founding pastor had had, had an affair, and I remember like, mm. oh my goodness, this is this is this is this is not what I signed up for, you know, just feeling all of this stuff. Right. But I watched their worship pastor who stepped in in an interim way and ultimately became the lead pastor for a, for a long run, just say, Hey, like to preach is to open your life up to God, to the text, to the spirit, to let God do what God wants to do and then offer that back. And I just, I, I realized like this wasn't just transferring information. It's not preaching. Um, you, you can, you can do that, but it's speaking from a transformed place in in the sense of opening your life up and saying, God, do with it what you will. Wreck me, put me back together, show me, teach me, push me, just compel me by your love to compel this message that will prepare people to live as your people. And so I, I think um, preaching is essential to being fixated and focused on pointing people to Christ and Christ alone. Um, and I think storytelling oftentimes can point them to you, um, to point them to your giftedness. And there's been times where I've, I've, gotten that a little sideways. And I think more than ever, it's just going, how do I help people see Christ um, in the most beautiful, real, honest, human, Savior, Lord, Rabbi kind of way? It is interesting. You, you preach long enough, you realize, I think I'm changing as a, as a preacher, as a communicator. We go through seasons of, yeah, that was my exegetical stage. Oh, that was my storytelling stage. Or that was me trying to be Rob Bell or whatever it was, <laughs> yeah. which who can do that? So, you know, what are some of the stages that you think maybe you've gone through and that you see other communicators go through? And this is what I love about your podcast, Craft and Character, because you drill down on the craft of it, which there's very few podcasts out there talking about that. They talk about leadership, but the craft of putting together a 30 to 40 minute talk and getting people from point A to point B is so challenging, especially in our short attention span world and YouTube videos and TikTok videos and all that. You know, what are some of the, the places you've come from and gone through and where are you today when it comes to actually writing and teaching a message? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I feel like for, for me from the beginning, you kind of go through a phrase, a phase of like mimicking yeah. in the sense of this person is so gifted or you so just appreciate the way that they approach something or even just like hand gestures, you know? Um, and it, and it's amazing. Cause I, I can, I can be around someone that I know has spent time at North point by the way that their hand, one hand is in their pants, you know, in their pocket and the other hand is just like doing this, you know, it's just, you, you pick up these mannerisms and that's part of the culture. You can be around people at, with, that have been with Nikki Gumbel and they have the best smile. They just preach with a smile and it's like, and a British like, accent and a British accent. That's true. That's true. You yes. know, and it's just like, there's, there are these cultural pieces that we pick up by osmosis. Sometimes we don't even know. I did that at Mars Hill. 
I think what I learned from Mars was the Jewish roots, hmm. was the beauty of Hebrew, the storytelling, um, and how to ask great questions. Then I went to Rock Harbor, and Rock Harbor is where I was introduced to the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. and kind of grew up in that Father, Son, Holy Bible uh, <laughs> kind of tradition. And I think just learning that a sermon doesn't have to end the conversation. And at Mars, we always said it started the conversation. That's why you would end with a question. But then you get to Rock Harbor, and it was you were setting it up for a response time. Mm. And that was so different. But I, I, and Mike Erie was the preacher. And I really felt like he was a subversive Chuck Smith, meaning like in Orange County, the shadow of Calvary Chapel for a season was like hovering, like you're either exegetical or you're heretical. There was just this sense that was over the air. And I think that Mike was able to walk that in such a beautiful way. And he was the antithesis of Orange County. He was bald. He was sweaty. He was like in flip flops. I mean, and there was something so raw and beautiful. And he was setting it up for the Holy Spirit. And I just learned that. And then I get to Willow. And Willow's like, there's no questions. There's no setting it up for the Spirit. Like, it is challenge me and give me clear application. And I I, I learned the real beauty of that, mm. of really the clarity, helping people know what the next step is. And so in many ways, I look back and I go, gosh, at Mars Hill, in the early days, I learned a compelling why hmm. for for preaching, for the text, for the church. At Rock Harbor, I learned a compelling how, how the Spirit works, how the Spirit can like move in a mighty way through your teach, and the power of response and surrender. And then I got to Willow, and I learned this compelling what, what you could actually drive people to, what from a stage could happen. I mean, you do a teach, and all of a sudden, people are, are packing prison packs for every incarcerated person in the state of Illinois. And I just, I, I never knew what was possible from a stage until I got to Willow. And so it's like all of these pieces, um, <laughs> I think have helped shape me, form me, um, into the communicator, uh, preacher pastor I am today. Okay. So I, I want to drill down on that. That's so good. You know, there's a, there's a big, uh, difference between, let's say, um, carne asada <laughs> yeah. and tofu, okay? Yeah. Tofu takes on the flavor of whatever's around it. Carne asada is what it is, you know? Um, there are some communicators that are more tofu. They can imitate, or not even imitate, they can morph into what that congregation needs or what it's used to. And that's what I see you've done over these three stops. You've kind of, okay, this is what they're doing here. This is what they need here. I can become that. And I think the danger that a lot of communicators get into is they look at great communicators and go, oh, I got to be Andy Stanley. Oh, I got to be, you know, Rick Warren or whatever it is. Um, How do you know whether you're carne asada and it's, hey, this is just me and I can't be anything else. So I better go to a church that does this or I'm tofu and I can probably figure this out wherever I am. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think for me, it was like, I recognize in the twenties and thirties, I was on the, on the quest to really hone my sound. Hmm. You know, um, if you think of like the Beatles, you know, from the book outliers spending six days a week in Berlin, playing 11 hours a day, they were just getting their hours, getting their reps in. Yep. And you know, there were, there were parts in each of those places, um, Mars, Rock Harbor, Willow, that you know, were uniquely me. And that actually freed me up to be me. I mean, I, I remember um, Bill just kept coming up to me going, hey, you can talk about sports. Like people love when you talk about sports. And I, and I was like, oh, okay. Like, I, like I, I sometimes think I put a governor on me and other people were like, you don't have to be this carbon copy. And I think, you know, I remember going to counseling right before my first teach at Willow. And I was like, everyone who teaches here manuscripts, I've never read off a manuscript. And I don't, I don't have shade for manuscripts. Like people need them. They're very, very, that's just not how I was trained. And the counselor goes, I've never seen anybody teach who's been on staff on the regular without a manuscript. And I just sat in the front row and I held my manuscript and I was like, okay, I'm either going to have to try and be this culture or I'm actually going to see if this culture can allow me to be fully me. And, and that's, that's what you have to try and discern. Mm. Will this 
will this culture, because you're going to have to bend if you're a younger voice to, to learn from the house, to learn from the, um, cause it's like baseball. Every culture has unwritten rules and you have to know those unwritten rules and you have to go, can I, can my sound, my voice, my style fit in that well? And if I'm actually going to adapt and grow, will they also grow with me too? Mm. Will that culture grow? And when you can find a place, and Willow was that for me, Rock Harbor was that for me, Mars was that for me, then I think both you and the culture get to grow. But when it's only one predominant primary way, you better be able to mimic that or fit in that, or uh, um, your carne asada is probably not going to be the the meal of choice there. (laughs) Nice callback. Okay. Yeah. Excuse me for one moment while I interrupt this conversation to remind you about a chance to sponsor kids in third world countries. If you have not already gone to compassion.com slash rusty, will you choose to do that today? Maybe over dinner tonight with your family, decide to sponsor a child and change their life forever. Compassion.com slash rusty. Thanks so much. Back to the episode. Okay. So if you, because you do a lot of speaking at other places now, you're kind of a hired gun, uh, which is a, man, that is a gift. And I've always said, that's what Mike Bro does so well. He can play a room of 18-year-olds and 80-year-olds and crush it either way. That's such a tough job to do because you don't know the audience. What, what are three or four questions you try to ask before you go into a place to speak you've never been at? So you can know, am I going to go with you know, what, why, how, um, what flavor am I going to bring to this? Do they want a lot of sports? Do they need exegetical? You know, what, what are you trying to assess when you go to a place to teach? Yeah, that's great. So, you know, first off, um, I try to figure out, Hey, when you've had a guest communicator come in, Hmm. um, who are, who are the, the, your two favorites and why? Oh, that's good. So then I go watch those those talks just to see like, what did they uniquely do? So that's one. Second one is, yeah, again, I'm a firm believer. Every culture has unwritten rules. So what is something that if I say this, I will literally get the entire room to be thinking about this ministry that was ended. And I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just, (laughs) I'm just saying a word but that word is like a trigger word. Um, and I asked that question recently when I spoke in Indianapolis and the staff was like, the, you know, they were like, Hey, nobody's asked that question, but seriously, thank you. Because last week the, the guest preacher was speaking, just going, Hey, you might leave the parking lot and you, you know, and you get, might get hit by a car oh. and da, 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 all this thing. That had happened six months before and someone had died. I know that place. So yeah. like like the guy didn't mean to lose the room, but just with that one line, everyone like hit a nerve. So again, who's who's the person that I can see that has one? Secondly, what is the, the landmines that I'm not going to know? Help me not step on them. And then the, the third one is what's a, what's a, like a win? Yeah. Like a, a, like every, again, every culture should, has to be clear about that. At Willow, it was kind of like a, a grace acronym. Like we wanted there to be good news. We want it to be real life, high application, high challenge. And because that room was so big, you, you the energy management, the E was like, it had to be, there had to be good pacing. So that's what I would give to people. And, and so, um, at Rock Harbor, it was through the text, through your life, clear path, clear response. And so those four things were super helpful helpful for me as I'm building the talk. So those are kind of the three or four questions I go after. Those are really good. I'd never heard the the grace thing from Willow before, um, the acronym that is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'd I'd never heard the uh, the Rock Harbor thing. So that's kind of like Stanley's me we God you we kind of a thing of his five progression points he's trying to get through. Um, you've been doing this now for a long time. Who are you today as a communicator? You know, if if I were to say, you know, just be you, you don't have to adapt to the room, you're just gonna let her rip and man, this is your best day teaching. What's that look like for you? Yeah, it's that's great. You know, a lot of the the personal coaching or the cohorts that we're doing, you know, through the Ascent Leader is is really all centered around um, helping people find their sound. Hmm. And 
you know, it's, it's, there's a reason why Starbucks franchises all look the same. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a reason for that because it doesn't matter if you're in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, or you know Clearwater, Florida, or Phoenix. You walk into one, you know what you're going to get: the colors, the feel, the wood, all of that. And it just in that, I remember hearing um, like a faith leader saying, when you walk into a familiar place, and this was a Catholic father who is talking about why Catholic churches were all the same. And he said, when you walk in, it doesn't matter what city you're in, it feels familiar. And when it feels familiar, the walls in your heart can go down and it's easier for people to receive. Wow. And, and this is why it's so important for younger communicators to know their sound. Because if you don't know your sound, your people don't know what to expect. And when they don't know what to expect, they're not going to invite their friends because they don't know if they're getting angry pastor, funny pastor, storytelling pastor. So one of the greatest gifts that you can do is saying, hey, here is my sound. Here's what you can expect. Second thing on it doesn't mean like over every decade, Rusty, like you're going to learn a fadeaway jumper. You're going to learn something different to kind of stretch your sound. But for me, like I have a paragraph that like I've written, I kind of have like a, like 25 questions. I walk teachers through and I help them craft their sound. It's not to be up on their website. It's not to be like kind of put out anywhere, but it's, it's for you when you're writing this to know if this isn't showing up in my messages, people aren't seeing the full picture of me. And I'm probably going to get into transferring information rather than speaking from a transformed place. So for me, um, if you if you literally like uh, kind of came to a teach, you're probably going to hear some Jewish roots, some Kingdom of God, a little Dallas Willard, some sports, some clear application, some storytelling, and um, I think some pop culture that's really going to help you put this idea into practice. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of like for me, it's just um, you know. I've got, again, this paragraph that I, I read through on a regular basis, but I, I can go through my outline. I can go through my teach and I go, oh man, I, I'm not bringing that part of me into this. Um, hmm. And get just get and, and it allows me to get curious. Is it a timing issue in my prep? Or is there something that like this, for me to go here, it's going gonna, it's gonna to require another level of transparency and honesty um, of where this is out of alignment in my life. And so, um, that's, that's the piece for me. It's just naming that sound and being clear with that and living into it. You know, it's interesting. You look at communicators all across the, uh, well, you could say globe, but we probably only know the States. I mean, you look at some of the most growing churches, there's no one style fits all. I mean, there are so many different styles and some guys, truthfully, between you and me, aren't that good. They're not that entertaining or that compelling or that smart, but there's something about knowing their audience and being the right guy in the right place at the right time, which seems to really work. Um, that's so hard to learn as a young communicator, which you and I are not anymore. But when young communicators come out, what are they most easily enamored with and they get stuck on? Um, because what I heard you just saying is it's okay to figure out who you are and just be that every single time versus, man, I got to be... Stephen Furtick this week and Chris Hodges next week and Rick Warren the next week. Where, where do young guys really get hung up? Yeah, I think I think in the I think there's probably four places where they get hung up. First one is in um, they they think so much about the performance hmm. of the preach and not of the prep of the preach. And the greatest communicators, in my opinion, are those who are. Um, engaging in the prep as, and they know it's hard and they know it's painful. Um, but somehow they just keep challenging themselves. I mean, Steph Curry right now, his shooting coach, I don't know if you just saw this, they are now counting shots that don't swish as misses. Um, because he just, he's just, he's got to keep challenging himself. Huh. So in it, when nobody's watching, he might make it off the backboard. doesn't count. It's a miss unless it totally swishes. I think that there's some, the, the communicators who are like, break me open, show me Lord, here I am. I just want to be in your presence. Uh, I think it's easy to miss that. Second one is um, charisma over character, the rise and fall of Mars Hill. I think that that podcast has shown that, that people think, oh, I got to have this kind of charisma. So either going to manufacture that 
I gotta like, I gotta like ramp that up. I gotta, I gotta have that vibe. Um, mm-hmm. And and I think if that's you, great. But if that's not you, what what are you showing the world? And people just can see that. So so I think those are those are two spots. The third one is um, a lot of young voices are being mentored by Instagram, social media, preaching clips, and not by actual coaches who are looking at their voice, almost like a shooting coach, almost like someone who's kind of going, hey, why did you go from that point and then jump right into that story? Hmm. Like, I don't, like that, that point was so weighty. Either you didn't know the room was that with you or that, that heavy of a moment and you didn't know how to trust it Hmm. or like you were, or you just didn't prepare. Like when you have, when you can submit your life to an older voice and an older coach, who's not trying to get you to sound like them, but to get you to be the fullest version of you, absolute game changer. A lot of younger guys just don't have that, unfortunately. Hmm. And then, and then the last one is we're good at making excuses. Um, so I'm not going to preach here cause there's only like, you know, no, there's like nine older people here. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, you know what? Um, if I look, if you look at every communicator, I mean, that has like, who is incredible. Um, they didn't skip steps. Yeah. And they're teaching at old folks homes. They were teaching junior high. They were just working on that craft. Yeah. Um, they were getting their shots in. And I just, I think, I think, um, we, we sometimes are thinking through, well, this, this, I gotta make this an Instagram post rather than no, 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 no. Like you, you gotta go preach and practice and how you prepare when nobody's watching. God might open a door where, where you speak to 200 or 400 or 500 or, or more, but don't ever miss out on just, this is about an audience of one and being faithful with a gift. And it doesn't matter if it's nine people or 9,000 people show up with the same intensity. Um, yeah. So those are just a few in my brain. That's really good. Really good stuff there. And I'd encourage your listeners to rewind that and write those down. I, I love what you said about just getting your shots in. I think that was what was so helpful for me as a student and in Bible college and all that was preaching at whatever. First of all, there's just great, crazy stories that come out of those moments. Yes, but yes. I remember preaching at a, uh, a nursing home when I was you know 17 in high school because my student ministry uh, pastor took me there said, you know, prepare and get up and teach. And I had to deal with a guy that would randomly break out in the song sitting out in the audience, you know, singing uh, in the garden. And uh, I thought, all right, I've learned how to navigate that. So now when a crying baby or a cell phone or something like that's going off, I always think back to the guy singing in the garden when I was 16. I think I can handle anything. Yes, 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 (laughs) yes. You're so right, though. It, It brings all of the great stories, but you have no idea how that situation is going to prepare you 20 years down the road. Right. And, 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 and what you're seeing is a lot of people who have, again, a gift, but not with the reps yep. of practice or people who have that charisma, but not with a character that's ready for that success, mm, you know? And that's so good. Dave Chappelle had that great line when he, when he bounced season five, episode four, I think of his show and he finds himself on the couch with Oprah and she's like, why'd you do it, Dave? And he just said, because success can take you places that character cannot sustain you. Mm. And I'd rather have a younger communicator be told no now than actually have to feel the effects in his 40s where there's way more collateral damage. Yeah. For him to grow that internal, uh, for he or she to grow that internal fortitude so that they're prepared for what God has in store for them. Oh, that's a good word. All right, let's talk about character a little bit. This is what I love about your podcast because you go crafting character and there's a need for both. Um, you have worked for some incredible leaders, but dealt with some difficult things. Obviously, when Rob Bell was at Mars Hill, it wasn't quite the controversy it was as when he left uh, and afterwards, following a moral failure at Rock Harbor, and then being on staff when um, when Heibel's, uh resigned and all of the aftermath that came from that, the devastation, the victims involved and everything. What'd you learn through that? I'm sure it's hard to just kind of sum it up in five bullet points, but I mean, the ability to to prepare yourself and to not let your success outpace your character, what's some walkaway lessons you got from that? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I I think the I think the hardest piece is, you know, the the day Bill resigned, um, you know, there the family's on stage, the elders are on stage, and um I'm I'm just up to do a closing prayer. And you know, you're you're in an auditorium that's seventy two hundred seats. You know, you're you're thinking about all, all the campuses that are probably added them all up almost a third of a billion dollars in, in total assets. Um, you spent your whole life. I mean, the Willow story, it began like obviously as a student ministry and then moved into a theater. And then they started going door to door to sell tomatoes and almost 200 people showed up to get personal loans to buy that property. They took out personal loans hmm. and, and I'll never forget after saying amen, Bill and his family walked down, and I think he's just going to go to the bullpen, you know, where the pastor who's preaching that day sits during worship, then gets up to teach. And he literally walks right past it and he walks to the back, uh, backstage. And in my mind, I was like, oh, he's never coming back. Mm-hmm. Like, you can spend 40 years building something and it can be gone like that. Mm hmm. My youth pastor always said that. He just said, hey, you'll spend seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, seasons, years, decades building, and it can be gone in one second is your integrity. Mm -hmm. And I think I just, I felt that. I felt that in the deepest of ways, like one choice, a couple choices, a little drift here, there, like, and all of the good can come to be for naught. And so, in so many ways. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think that's one thing is just the weightiness that I don't, I don't think I understood in college. I don't think I understood in my twenties. Um, I think too, um, one of the pieces is, um, I don't know how much my discernment got leveled or how much my discernment leveled up. Hmm. And I think that's, that's been one of the pieces of just really trying to discern, um, what's, what's right culture. What's, what's like healthy church look like? What is real formation and shaping people into the way of Christ? There's so many cynics right now. You have so many people who are um, just angry or frustrated. And, and for, to be honest, some of it for, for right reason. But I, I go back to a story where I had the privilege to go um, in 2017 meet with the Pope at the Vatican. Hmm. And the night before I went with a buddy and we had dinner with his social media director, which is just awesome. That's just the coolest <laughs> so thing. Let's ever. just think about that yeah. phrase yeah, so, for a second. Yeah, All so, right. <laughs> so, but this guy, this guy was a, uh, is a Catholic historian. So this is before I know anything about what's going down at Willow and everything. And so the Catholic historian's like, Hey, do you have any questions about Catholicism? And Maybe it's because over the flight over there, I'd seen the show Borgia, you know, and I was like, hey, what do you do with like bad popes? I mean, like you've had a few like people who were married, who had kids, like, <laughs> they're not, like how, how does that people who bought the role? How do you make sense of that? And he gave me the like one of the most brilliant answers. He says, we cannot bury those stories. They are who we've been. But. What's beautiful is out of those distractions where we had missed the plot and the point, new orders arose and came to be. So like the Jesuit order came out of the Borgia incident. And so you start to, you start to see here and you go, gosh, I really feel like there is more conversation right now about character than I ever remember. <laughs> um, and I just go, I think a lot of younger leaders are seeing the power, but also the like walking more humbly in that power because they, they can see due to Twitter or other, you know, true allegations that have come out, how quickly they can be gone. So I think all of it character matters. I think there's a new order of a longing for formation, character, more of Christ centeredness. And then I think three, it can all be gone like that yeah. if we're not careful. So those are some of the things I'm learning. You had, uh, Mike Cosper on your podcast recently, who is the uh, the mind behind the rise and fall of Mars Hill, which is a stunning, awful, and fascinating podcast. 
Do you see any similarities? Because they make a lot of comparisons between Mars Hill and Willow. Or not, yeah, Mars Hill and Willow. You see any similarities between Driscoll and Hybels? Well, I don't. I don't know Mark Driscoll, so I. I don't know um, what the like. Like I don't know them. You know where I can literally say definitively. Here's here's what I do feel like when I came to Willow. I kind of came in at the heyday where Bill saw this thing was sunsetting. The Global Leadership Summit was taking off and 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 having like more impact around the world. And I realized like early on in every conversation, there were three bills. There was um, the bill of like 1980. Um, there was Grandpa Bill, which a lot of like is what a lot of my time was experienced. I mean, I I, I have. 2000 great stories with Bill. I have a couple profoundly destructive, two dozen destructive, painful wounds from him, but like I have a lot of good stories. And then I also found that inside the third bill was everybody else's like made up version of stories collected over the years of hmm. how Bill likes it. And I just, I just was like, <laughs> like amazed by that. Cause sometimes I'd be like, well, who told you that? Well, this is how Bill likes it. I'm like, how, when? That's just what I've heard. But again, some of these stories, I, but I think that came out of a culture of fear yeah. because of what happened. And I think probably in the 80s, there were some similarities of drive, of like, you know, getting stuff done, intensity, like um, that are probably similar in in Mark and Bill. Um, but I think I think that there's, there are some differences that I've seen um, of, you know, Bill was, Bill had verbal precision. That dude would not, he was not reckless with his words. Um, Mark, Mark had more like, I'm going to, I'm going to just, I'm going to start, I'm going to pick a fight here with my words. And <laughs> so it just, that, that was different from Bill. Bill, I think was more statesman. Yep. I think um, Mark was more of a street fighter. But I think they both had the intensity, both had the power, both had the urgency, and both I think, um, you know, had those like from this podcast seeing uh, some shadow sides of of not listening. So that for me, um, similar but some places a little different. Yeah. So uh, some of these things that we just talked about, you cover in your latest book called "The Thing Beneath the Thing." Uh, give us a, a little, you know, book jacket synopsis. Uh, where'd that come from? And, uh, you know, where you hope to take readers with that? Because I think it's such a, a brilliant concept and a great read. Oh, thank you, man. Well, you know, Paul says in Romans seven fifteen, I do not understand what I do, which yeah. is a great, great sentence. I just can't say that and quote that to my wife after I do something <laughs> dumb. Well, Paul says, I do not understand what I do. She's like, you better start understanding, Steve. Um, <laughs> and that second sentence from Romans seven fifteen is the good I want to do, I just don't do. But the thing I hate, I do. So the question really that I'm trying to get after in the book is why do we do what we do? Or better said, why do I do what I do? Mm-hmm. And I just came to realize that um, every day we are being triggered. And when we get triggered, those are uh, just pain points from our story that somebody's getting close to. Areas that have just gone unchecked. Um, pain that we've just not had the time or the energy or desire to look at. And so when someone gets close, it often sends us somewhere to some hideout, to just kind of escape the pain, uh, to some level of insecurity where we create a false story about ourselves or someone triggers us and it, it reminds us of somebody else who's hurt us. And so it becomes easier to create a narrative, a false narrative about somebody else. Mm. And what I came to realize um, is that the only way that I think we can find true healing is through sanctifying grace, as Wesley would call it. Mm. And really it's just kind of this my, my attempt to try and reclaim that word sanctification. Um, it's not used a ton in the book, but this is my heart is to go through a process that we can become more whole, holy, and spiritually healthy by getting after what's really going on underneath the surface. Instead of seeing it when we get triggered as permission and license to escape, what if we saw it as an invitation to become more healthy, whole, and holy for Christ's glory? Mm. Wow, that's well said. It's almost like you've talked about this book before. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a great read. Encourage all of our, our listeners to, to grab a copy and to subscribe to your podcast, Craft and Character, especially all of our communicators. It's so, so good. 
Um, Steve, this has been really helpful. Uh, for any of our listeners that would love to know more about uh, Ascent or about having you come in and teach or anything like that, where can they find you? Yeah, so we do our we do preaching cohorts, these year-long cohorts. They're amazing. Um, you can learn more at theascentleader.org. My buddy Sean Morgan, um, Rusty, he loves you. Um, but Sean is kind of like, um, oversees this. And so we've got a preaching communication wing, but we also have a wing for those who've been handed the baton. Um, and check that out. And then um, if you want to learn more about teaching, writing, coaching, all that stuff, you can go to stevecarter.org and has all the information there. That's awesome. Well, buddy, this has been great. Thank you for your time. And uh, by the time this airs, we're going to be knee deep into college basketball. So hope your uh, Wolverines do well, unless they're playing my Tar Heels. So uh, hope that goes well for you. Real quick, how do you feel like your Tar Heels are going to do? Like, do you, are you are you like sold on? Because Duke and North Carolina, they're both taking massive risks and going with guys that really, I mean, are hometown favored sons, but at the same way, they uh, don't have the splash of what other names might be. Yeah. How are you feeling about that? I love the decision to hire Hubert Davis. When he left ESPN to go there and be an assistant coach, I thought, hmm, I like where this is going. Coaching trees are not good for for Roy Williams and for Coach K. So I think they're both taking, you know, a little bit of a risk, but and maybe I'm just biased. I've, I would bet more on Hubert Davis's success than John Shire. So uh, I, I hope it goes that way for us. But I think it'll be a bit of a, of a transition year. But, I mean, it's just so great to have it back and to have fans in the, in the building again. And, I mean, college football has been so fun this year, seeing fans again and just the rivalry of it all. So I love it. That's awesome, man. Well, hey, thank you for who you are. Thanks for the ways that you're pastoring. And just, uh, I mean, you've been one of the guys been doing a podcast for a long, long time and just being a voice to so many of us. So thanks for who you are and your example and your character, bro. It means the world. I appreciate it, Steve. Well, that was so fun. It was fun to talk basketball. It's fun to talk about the book and really great stuff on writing a message. Great questions on how to prepare for guest teaching somewhere. So if you have a pastor friend in your life, share this with them. As always, please rate and review. That would mean the world to us, and it gets the word out. Next week, we get to hear from another pastor, and this is a guy who was at a great job and still felt compelled to leave. Uh, How do you know when it's time to leave the corporate world, so to speak, and then go out and become an entrepreneur. That's what Pastor Clay Scroggins did, and he's gonna simplify how to leave a job you love for an unknown future. So make sure you check that out next week. As always, make sure you sponsor a child, compassion.com slash rusty. Helps us keep track of all the kids we're sponsoring. Until next week, keep it simple. Take a moment and subscribe to the podcast so you'll get it delivered every week. And subscribe to the Rusty George YouTube channel for more devotionals, messages, and fun videos. Thank you for listening to Leading Simple.